0: This past week, an article came across my desk about a pastor in South Africa, and according to this news post, this pastor in South Africa actually went to hell and killed the devil. That's what the news article told me, and it doesn't explain how he got there. Uh, there was no details. on. I, I know there's a highway to hell, uh, heard about that. I don't know if there's an on-ramp in South Africa. I don't know if there's a layover someplace. But somehow he went to hell and, and, he, and he killed Satan. And, and this is what the pastor said. He said, when I got to hell, there was a queue of millions waiting to be... Now, this was a complicated word and it did not translate from the original in, in whatever the language was. And so I had to ask Siri to translate this one word and uh or excuse me google i asked google to translate it and google translated it as barbecued so the word whatever it was google translated it barbecued so he says when i got to hell there was a queue of millions waiting to be barbecued by satan and when satan saw me he panicked and then he directed his army to kill me but like samson in the bible i defeated them and satan was my last victim now that that's some great news here on this cold and blustery winter day, Satan has been killed by a preacher in South Africa. Now that is some good news for your Sunday morning, but even better, since this guy killed Satan, he can now guarantee you a place in heaven. In fact, he's selling tickets, and they only cost, I think this is a bargain, they're only $7,000 apiece. $7,000 ensures that you get to go to heaven. And I think that's great, I gotta be honest, you know me. I'm a little curious about the barbecue though. So that's just me. Uh, you tell me there's a barbecue going on, I'm probably gonna be there. Uh, well today we're looking at Jesus' temptations in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. If you're following along in the blue Bibles, it's page 890, or excuse me, 859, and, and then the, the notes are all on the YouVersion app. It's interesting that Jesus encounters Satan. He, he, he defeats the devil's temptations, but, but He doesn't kill Satan. He doesn't kill the devil uh, when He gets a chance here. He gets a one-on-one with Him. Instead, it says in verse 13, the passage ends with the words, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. Later on in chapter 4, Jesus encounters a man who is possessed by an evil spirit, and Jesus casts that evil spirit out of the man. A little later in chapter 8, Jesus encounters a man who is possessed by so many spirits that when he asks, what is your name? The demons respond, we are legion because we are many. Over and over again through Luke's Gospel, Jesus encounters evil over and over again. He defeats evil again and again. He takes away the devil's power. Jesus, do- Jesus does that. Not some preacher from South Africa. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for yourself. The tests that Jesus endures here are to prove to us that Jesus is exactly who He says He is. And we need to hear that as we approach this text. Because if we're not careful, we can make a passage like this all about ourselves. And and, and we tend to do that anyway. We we make this kind of stuff all about ourselves. Jesus is tempted to turn stones into bread and we think, if only I had the willpower to stay away from bread. You know? If only I had more willpower and I could stay away from food. If, if only I could be more like Jesus. Uh, again and again, we, we see Jesus using the Bible to respond to Satan's temptations. And, and we think, man, if only I knew my Bible better. If only I had a better handle, a better grasp on the Bible. Uh, then, then, I, then I could defeat Satan. And we'll beat ourselves up over and over again for our failures. We will berate ourselves for giving in to temptation and we'll put the focus on us. When the focus here is on Jesus and on the victory that He wins, a victory that He wins for us. I don't think that the key to overcoming temptation is learning how to respond properly to Satan. I don't think that's the key, is learning how to respond properly to the devil. I think the key to overcoming temptation is to keep your eyes on Jesus. And understand who he is and what he has done for you, who he is, and what he has proven himself to be. I mean here we are in Luke chapter four, and what have we seen already well in in Luke chapter one, the angel Gabriel came to mary jesus mother, and she said, "You are going to have a son conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he will be called the Son of the most high." In Luke chapter two, uh, uh, the whole host of heaven appears to a group of of Uh, shepherds on a hillside and what do they declare they declare the birth of the savior who is christ the lord and then in chapter 3 jesus is baptized by his cousin john and a voice comes from the clouds a voice comes from the heavens saying you are my beloved son with you i am well pleased and here in chapter 4 he's in the wilderness being tempted What do you suppose we're supposed to learn here? What do you think we're supposed to learn here? Three Bible verses to respond to temptation. Is that what we're supposed to learn? Or are we supposed to learn exactly who Jesus is? See, I I think that's something we don't dare miss here. As Jesus responds to the devil's temptations again and again, He shows us exactly who He is. Jesus Is exactly who he says he is. Let's begin with the first four verses, the first temptation. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The response to that verse is, well, duh. (laughs) You don't eat for 40 days, you're probably going to be hungry. Some of you, your stomach's growling right now, right? And so, the devil said to him, verse 3, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. You read that, and I hope you hear echoes of other stories from the Bible as you read that passage. Forty days in the wilderness. Forty days in the wilderness sounds a little like forty years in the wilderness, doesn't it? Forty days in the wilderness, and we think of Israel... Forty years wandering in the wilderness. The passage tells us that Jesus is hungry again. Duh, and we can't help but think about Israel wandering in the wilderness those forty years, wandering and hungry. And in fact, the verse that Jesus quotes to the to the to the devil, the verse that he quotes is from Deuteronomy chapter three, verse eight. And if we read the whole verse, not just the part that Jesus quotes, but the whole verse says this, and He, that is God, humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, it wasn't about the hunger. It was about what the hunger was teaching them. It taught them that they needed to rely completely on God. It's not about the bread. It's about learning to rely on God. It's about learning to trust in Him. And here, as we look at Jesus, it's not just about what the angels said to Mary or what the angels said to the shepherd or what the voice from heaven said. It's about who Jesus proves Himself to be. Jesus is exactly who He says He is. Now, our Bibles, my Bible and I'm sure yours, has the devil saying three times, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, then turn this stone into a a loaf of bread. That's not quite right. The the construction there in the Greek is a little different than that. In fact, what, what it really seems to be saying is this, well, since you're obviously the Son of God, By the way, if you go back to chapter 3 when Jesus is baptized, what does the voice from heaven say? You are My beloved Son, right? So what Satan is really saying is, well, since you're obviously the Son of God, you won't have any problem turning this stone into a loaf of bread so you can feed yourself. You see, the temptation wasn't for Jesus to prove who He was. We already know who He is. The temptation was for Him to use His status for His own benefit, to feed Himself. Now five chapters later, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus will miraculously feed 5,000 men, including other people. He'll miraculously feed over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and, and two fish. You see, it's, it's not about what He does for Himself. It's about what He does for others. It's about what He does for us. And if Jesus is exactly who he says he is, then we are exactly who Jesus says that we are. Last year we spent we spent months going through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We spent a long time in Ephesians. We spent a long time just in Ephesians chapter 1 because the whole point of Ephesians chapter 1 is to tell us who we are. Ephesians 1 tells us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing Ephesians 1 tells us that we are chosen, we have been adopted as as sons, we have been redeemed through his blood, with forgiveness, we have the forgiveness of sins. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit guaranteeing heaven for us. But there's one thing you can't miss in Ephesians chapter 1. Again and again Ephesians chapter 1 says this is who we are in Christ we have been blessed in Christ we have been chosen in Christ we have been adopted in Christ every blessing we have is because of who he is and since Jesus is exactly who he says he is then we are exactly who Jesus says we are we are blessed we are chosen we are forgiven we are loved and we desperately need to hear that we need to stand confident in who Jesus is Because at every point where we can fail, Jesus succeeds. At every point where we can fail, Jesus succeeds. Look at His next temptation beginning in verse 5. And the devil took Him and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to Him, To you, I will give all this authority and their glory For it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Now this is the point where I make you feel bad because you don't read your Bible enough. Okay, This is the point where every preacher preaching this passage is going to make you feel bad Because you don't read your Bible enough. If you just read your Bible like Jesus knows His Bible, you wouldn't have to deal with these temptations. You would overcome them all and the devil would finally give up on you. The devil would finally leave you alone. I don't think that's accurate. And yet, that's the way I've heard this passage and the temptations of Christ preached over and over again. I don't think that's what this is teaching us. Again, it's putting the focus on Jesus and it's showing us that every point where we can fail Jesus succeeds. And that's a huge point here. And I I don't want you to miss this. Jesus succeeds where we fail. Just prior to the temptations here, back in chapter three, the previous passage was Luke's genealogy of Jesus from Luke chapter three, verses 23, all the way down to 38. We have Luke's genealogy. Now, we're we're more familiar with Matthews genealogy of Jesus for some reason we read Matthew's a lot more often we don't pay much attention to to Luke's I don't know if that's because Matthew's the first book and it's the very first thing he does is give us the genealogy of Jesus so so every time we try to read through the Bible we end up reading Matthew's genealogy and we get lost in all those names and we give up we we tend to leave Luke's alone Luke's genealogy is very different but Luke's genealogy is different from Matthew's because Luke has a different point to make about who Jesus is Luke's genealogy begins there in verse 23, but it ends in verse 38 of Luke chapter 3, where it says that Jesus is the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Well, since you are the son of God, why don't you do this? The son of Adam, the son of God, the son of Adam. There's more echoes in this passage. You have to listen very carefully for the echoes. But think about the temptations that Adam and Eve endured. Think about the temptations where they failed in the garden. Think about their failure. They were told one thing. Do not eat of the tree in the center of the garden. Remember? They were told, do not eat of the tree in the center of the garden. What was Jesus' first temptation? To eat. Right? And He refused. He refused. He passed that one. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, tells us that Adam was given dominion over all the earth, that Adam's role was to rule the earth. What was Jesus' second temptation here in Luke's Gospel? If you'll just bow down to me, I'll let you rule everything. And he refuses. Now, the final temptation that we're going to see next, the final temptation is that The devil tempts Jesus, takes him to the top of the the pinnacle of the temple, and he he tempts him with this death-defying display of his power and of who he is. He says, jump from the pinnacle of the temple. Your Father will protect you. Your Father will not allow you to be hurt. Your Father will not allow you to die. What did the serpent tell Eve? You will surely not die. Jesus refuses to test God at every point where Adam failed, Jesus, son of Adam, the son of God, succeeds. So what does that mean for you and me? What does that mean for us? Later on, Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through, through Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Every single problem that you and I have in this world can be traced back to Adam's failure in the garden. And so the answer for you and me is not that we need to try harder. The answer to you and me is is not if we only read our Bible the right way and learn how to respond to to Satan, uh, we'll, we'll survive. If we read our Bibles more, we'll notice again and again we are called to look to Jesus, to the victory that He has won for us, to the hope that we have in Him. And so Paul continues there in Romans chapter 5. He continues in verse 18, Therefore, as one sin, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience... Adam, by one man's disobedience the many were made sinner so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. By one man's obedience by keeping your eyes on Jesus many will be made righteous. I can't say enough about the wonderful things that the Alcoholics Anonymous group that meets here on Saturday night does. I I get a sit across the road and see the cars, and I'm just amazed at the numbers that you have some nights. just blows my mind. The things that they do for each other, the way that they care for each other, the way that they fight those battles together, the victories that they celebrate together. But you know, if you read the Big Blue Book, and if you read the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you read any of the 12 steps for for any struggle that people have, You will not find at the top of the 12 steps, number one, get good at not drinking anymore. Right? (laughs) That's not number one, is it? Get good at not drinking. Get good at not sinning. Get good at not being tempted anymore. That's not number one. Instead, number one is we admit that we are powerless. We are powerless. We have no way to defeat this in and of ourselves. That's number one. Number two, I came to believe that there is a power greater greater than me. I came to believe there is a power greater than me that can restore sanity. And whatever the insanity in your life looks like, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's Uh, whether it's depression, whether, whether uh, whether it is any other temptation, whatever the insanity in your life looks like, you don't defeat it on your own. You defeat it by recognizing what Jesus has already done for you. And that's the victory that Jesus wins over temptation here because despite all that the devil throws at Him, Jesus holds to His mission to save us. Jesus holds on to that mission. By the way, I I really do want you to read your Bibles more. Okay, don't hear me saying stop reading your Bible or, or don't read your Bible. I really do want you to read your Bibles more. I hope you do. In the pages of these books, this book, you find life, you find strength, you find Jesus. And if you've read through the temptations before, you've likely read through them again in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter four, and has the parallel to this passage Matthew chapter 4 also has the account of Jesus's temptations but if you've read them in Matthew you may have noticed that something's a little different here the order of the three temptations is different in Matthew Jesus is first tempted to turn the stones into bread and then the second temptation is that he would throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple and 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 that his father would save him and then the third temptation is Jesus is led away to a high mountain where He sees all the kingdoms of the earth and and the devil tempts Him. If you just bow down and worship Me, I'll give you all of these. So in Matthew, the order is bread, temple, mountain. But in Luke, the order is bread, mountain, and then temple. Why is Luke different? Did did Luke get the order wrong? Did did, did Luke have a different set of temptations? Uh, uh, Luke's making, as I said earlier, Luke is making a different point. In fact, if you're reading through your Bibles, if you're reading through the Gospel of Matthew, one thing you'll notice about Matthew is Matthew always wants to get Jesus up a mountain. That's the whole goal in Matthew is that Jesus goes up a mountain. Let's go back, let's hear some echoes. In the Old Testament, who went up on a mountain and got the law of God? Moses. Yeah. Matthew's presenting Jesus as the second Moses and he wants to get Him back up on that mountain. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus preaches a sermon called the Sermon on the... Matt, look at that. You all get gold stars today. Luke chapter 6, Jesus preaches a sermon called the Sermon on the Plain. On the Sermon in Kansas, we might say. You know, it's a sermon on the prairie. Little sermon on the prairie. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Anyway. (laughs) Matthew chapter 28, last chapter of, of Matthew, where does Jesus go? He goes up to a mountain where he meets his disciples, and then he ascends to the Father. Luke's goal is not to get Jesus to a mountain. Luke's goal is to get Jesus to. Jerusalem. Everything about the Gospel of Luke moves Jesus to Jerusalem. All through the Gospel, he gets to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem. He's crucified. He's buried. He's resurrected. And all of a sudden, some disciples head off to Emmaus. They encounter Jesus. Then where do they go? Back to Jerusalem. It's all about getting to Jerusalem. That's where Luke picks up in his next book, in the book of Acts. But it's all about getting Jesus to Jerusalem. The goal is Jerusalem. And you hear that in the way Luke presents the final temptation. Look at verse 9. And he, the devil, he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone and jesus answered him it is said you shall not put the lord your god to the test the pinnacle of the temple was likely the southeast corner of the temple southeast corner of the temple was called the uh, the, the the royal porch and it looked over the kidron valley which was about 450 feet below is jesus is anyone going to survive a jump from the pinnacle of the temple 450 feet below the jewish historian josephus who, who had seen it apparently he said if anyone stood on the pinnacle of the temple they'd get dizzy he just says it's, it was a dizzying height and so satan says you will surely not die Your father's going to protect you and and everyone is going to see your power. They are all going to worship you. But you see, that's not how Jesus was getting to Jerusalem. Not going to get to Jerusalem by Satan's power. He was not going to get to Jerusalem by by a big show of His own power. Rather, as we're going to see in the coming weeks as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus gets to Jerusalem person by person, life by life, encounter by encounter, engagement by engagement, table by table. He touches people. He changes people. He heals people. He forgives people. He eats with people. He calls people to Himself all the time while he makes his way to Jerusalem. And, this, and the devil, with all of his temptation, with all of his promise, could not stop that. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 is a pivotal, pivotal verse in the Gospel of Luke. It's in Luke 9, 51, where Luke writes, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. No power of hell, no scheme of man could keep him from the cross. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I tell you, the devil's big temptation for you and me is to make us feel like we're lost make us feel like we are worthless, that we have blown it one too many times. How could God love you? Why on earth would God want to save you? But what Jesus proves here in the wilderness is there is no power that can keep Him from you. He will not be distracted. He will not be dissuaded. He will not take a shortcut. He came to seek and save you. That's why when we go back to Ephesians 1, And we see all of those things that are true about who we are in Christ. That we are blessed in Christ. We are chosen in Christ. We have been adopted in Christ. We are redeemed. All of those things are past tense. They're past perfect tense. They are completed never to need to be completed again because they have been completed in Christ. You have victory. You have victory over sin because Jesus is victorious. And if your identity is found in Christ, then the devil does not get a rematch for your soul. You know, I'm sorry to the, I have to say sorry to the preacher in South Africa, but I don't believe him. I I don't know, and I don't have $7,000 for a ticket to heaven anyway. Last last I knew, you got there for free. But, uh, you know, the devil doesn't get a rematch. Satan's not saying to to Jesus, you know, I've been working out. (laughs) And I think I could take you this time. Spent the last 2,000 years working out. I've been really working on my core. I think I could take you. Now, it is is finished. It's finished once and for all. And if your identity is found in Christ, then it has been finished on your behalf. Verse 13 says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Keep that in mind. The, The Bible is clear. These were not the only temptations that Jesus endured. But Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says that He was tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. He was tempted in every way that we've been tempted, and yet without sin. One of the enemy's favorite strategies is to make you feel alone. Alone in your failure. Alone in your sin. Alone in your temptation. Alone in your weakness. To make you feel like nobody else struggles with this. Nobody else wrestles with this. Nobody else has this problem but you. Nobody else understands. But the Bible assures us that Jesus has been tempted in every way as we have, and yet He was victorious in every way. And He was victorious for you, and He's victorious for me. Those times when you feel alone. those times when you feel like a failure. those times when you feel like if people knew what I have done or the things that I have thought about or the things that I have considered if they only knew they would judge me, remember what He endured for you. Not just the temptation, but the cross. Remember who you are because of who He is and stand firm in your temptation, not by your own strength, but by the victory that Jesus has already won for you. Let's stand together and pray. Lord Jesus, we we look at what You endured for us. You endured the temptation to give up and to give in. You endured a temptation to take the easy way to Jerusalem, a way that did not require a cross. You endured not only to win the victory, but to win it for us. And so so that just as, as You proved who You are, we can know for certain who we are in You, that we are chosen, that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven. And that we are sealed for eternity with You. And so in our moments of weakness, we pray that we might be strong. We pray for strength to overcome temptation and sin. And as we see those around us struggle, let us remind them that they're never alone. And let us call them to the hope that we have through Your victory. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. And go in peace.